All right, so maybe we'll, we'll start by uh, just reading the story of the, the prodigal son, probably very familiar to all of us. So it's on the bottom of page 36 here in the program. Then he said, a man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine, and he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here am I dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and, you not, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast, upon, feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So I think if you, uh, if you ask somebody what their favorite parable is, and... Uh, Father Willig, the priest I live with, we, we were having this conversation last summer because we went through like, I don't know, 10 parables of Jesus throughout the, throughout the uh, Sundays in ordinary time. We were talking, well, what's your favorite parable? And we said, well, you have to discount the prodigal son because isn't that everybody's favorite parable? And this chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 15, as Julia pointed out, has, which is here, has three parables. And it's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, 
And then it's entitled here, The Parable of the Lost Son. And the parables are stories that Jesus tells. So this is not, this story that Jesus tells is not a history lesson, right? This isn't something that really happened. It's a story that Jesus creates to make a point, right? It's not, the, it's not like a story of David and Goliath, right? This is a, this is a story that Jesus tells to, to make a point. And the parables, when you look at a parable and you're trying to say, well, what, what is the Lord trying to communicate in this story he's telling, is one of the important things is to always look for the twist. I think in Hebrew, the word is a nimshal. So you look for the twist, and in the twist, you see in some ways what the Lord is trying to say. And so in the, the previous stories, right, the parable of the lost sheep, the twist is the dude actually leaves 99 to find one. Like he actually leaves 99 to be feasted upon by wolves, to be whatever might happen to him to find the one lost sheep. Like that's the twist because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right? If you had 99 cows and they're all, you know, you got a couple of them herded in the pen, there's wolves around, you're like, yeah, we're going to have to let the one cow go, right? Loved Bessie. She was a great cow, but, you know, she's going to be wolf food. And then the, the parable of the lost coin, right? The, the twist with, the, uh, with that one is, so she sweeps the whole house to find the lost coin, right? Who knows how expensive this coin is? But if you lost a check for $10,000, you would turn over the whole house to find it, right? You would make sure you found that check. The twist comes, she throws a party that seems to probably cost more than one coin. Right, she finds this coin and she's so excited to have it that she blows it all and the money that she had on a party. Now, I would like to be friends with this woman, but just not the best thing, right? Like you could imagine like her husband comes home from work and he's like, there's a party. What happened? You wouldn't believe it. I lost money, but I found it. So now we're in debt, you know, like, so it's the twists that we look for in these stories that are just just remarkable because those tell us so much about who the Lord is, right? The woman who throws the party because what was lost has been found. That tells us something about the Lord. And maybe what makes this parable, as it says, the parable of the lost son so great is there's so many twists. There's so many kind of turns in this story that are just absolutely remarkable that it keeps you on the edge of your seat and that you see so much of the Lord because of all the little twists and turns that happen in this story. And even the story, you know, in, in here and in the, it's from the New American Bible, calls it the parable of the lost son. Oftentimes we call it the parable of the prodigal son, and prodigal is the word for wasteful, right? So somebody who's prodigal is wasteful with what they have, and so this son is wasteful with all that he has. So the prodigal is son is the, the wasteful son. And so we're just going to walk through this story and really just to notice all the twists and turns, just to notice and what that says about God, what that says about us, what that says about our relationship with him, just to notice all these, all these different twists and turns in the story. And it, it starts with the man who had two sons and the younger son said to his father, and the, the brilliance of it is, it has to be the younger son. It just has to be, because when we're young, you think about we're just dumb and we're prodigal, right? We're a bit wasteful. Then you fast forward towards the end of this story. Who's the one who's bitter and resentful? It's the older son. And I can just say this in my own life. 
The older I get, the less I become like the younger son who's wasteful, and the more I become like the older son who's just a bit bitter and a bit resentful. Right? So it's just so brilliant the story Jesus tells that the young one is the one who's just reckless, because truth be told, that's most of us when we're young. And when the older son is the one who's kind of like bitter and resentful and just a bit cranky, to be completely honest. And you don't see too many teenagers who are cranky. They're reckless. But you go to a nursing home, you don't see too many reckless people. You see a little bit more cranky people. (laughs) So his young prodigal, his young wasteful son says, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. Now, if you've made a will, you know when, when people come into their estate, right? When they get the share, when, if you've got two sons, when one gets half of what's given is upon the death of the fam- his parents. And so basically what he's telling his dad is, dad, I'd really wish you would die, but since you're not doing that yet and you're just a little bit slow in staying around, can I have my share of the inheritance? The first twist is that his son, his father, I mean, does not just go ahead and backhand him, right? That's the first twist, that he doesn't say, you ungrateful, this is being recorded, so I'm going to, you know, change the language that's in my head, but you ungrateful piece of garbage, right? Like, out, just, you know, just go think about what you've done and what you've said and what you've insinuated. But he doesn't say that. He actually doesn't say anything. There's actually no reply He just starts to gather the stuff. And we hear it, it takes a few days. And so you can imagine the father going through all of his belongings and dividing, gathering, you know, okay, who's going to get the snowblower and who's going to get the snowmobile? And he's got to divide half of his property. And maybe it's land that he has to give to this son. And then he's got to watch his son then sell the land that the father's been tilling. I mean, half of his belongings, half of his estate he gives to this son. And we see this like generosity from the father who doesn't beat his son for his crazy request, but he's just willing to give him everything, hoping that things go well. And in his head, you have to think this father, as he's going through everything, is thinking like, there's no way this is going to end well, right? There is not a shot in the world that this is going to have a happy ending. I mean, I mean, Maybe it will, but like, it's just, the outlook doesn't look good. But the, the goodness of the father knows that his kids have to have freedom. And, and so often, like, that's, that's the role in, in a family, right? My, my mom, if, you know, I love my mom dearly, but I think moms in general want to protect, right? They want to be, show this tender love. And my dad is high-fiving me the more bruises I get as a young boy, right? Like, oh, don't worry, you'll make that jump next time, (laughs) you know? It's like the dad's kind of like, all right, this isn't going to end well, but you have to do it. But it does make you wonder, where in the world is mom in this story, right? I have heard stories about kids, teenagers who threaten to run away, right? And this is in, let's just say, people I grew up with. Stories when somebody's like threatening to run away, and dad's like, go ahead, try, see if I care. One less mouth to feed. <laughs> and it's mom that comes in to intervene and says, whoa, like, this isn't good, right? Let's stay here, cool, separate, cool down, all of this. Like, 
where is mom in this story? And it, and it just wonders, right? It's a story that Jesus tells. We have no clue, but we're just meditating upon it. So we don't actually know, like, why didn't mom intervene? Maybe mom died, right? Maybe mom is gone for some reason, right? Maybe mom is an alcoholic and she just doesn't care anymore. Right? Like, who knows what happened? But you think about how many, how many stupid things we do when there's pain at home. Right? Like maybe this younger son really did lose his mom and it completely wrecked his world. Right? And now he's just more reckless than ever. Or maybe he's got to get, he just wants to get out of home because there's, it's just a terrible home life. He's like, I got to get out of here. Let's just do whatever I can to get out of here. And so we, we see ourselves in that. Right? We see ourselves that sometimes people don't love us as they should. Right? Maybe mom, maybe dad should have stopped him, but he goes off and he you know, he takes all of these belongings. So we see here, that's like the second to last line in 36. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country. You know, so he just goes to a distant place. It's like he's trying to get away as far as possible from where he started. He's trying to just go as far away as he can because he doesn't want to be there. Like, couldn't he have just gone down the street, right? Couldn't he have just kind of taken half of his stuff, maybe taken some baby steps? But no, he goes, as f- he goes to a distant country. He goes to a place so far that his parent, no word is reaching back to how his son's doing, right? He's so far away that he's really trying to, to cut himself off from his family. And so as he's gathering all this stuff, you could imagine like, if the, fa- right, the father's so good in this story, right? If he's like the bright light and this guy has his back towards the bright light wandering and the, the further you get from the light, like the further you get from the sun, the longer the shadow goes and the darker it gets. And I think we probably all experience that. Maybe in some points in our life, the further away we go from the Lord, the darker it gets. But if he's just walking, you don't notice that too quickly. Right? If you're just walking away from the Lord, you don't realize how dark it's getting because our eyes, they can adjust to lower light. Right? If we're in the bright light and then all of a sudden it's dark, it's startling and you can't see everything. But if it just slowly gets darker and darker, you begin to adjust. And so this guy, as he's going to this distant country, it's a slow walk there. And so he's just creeping slower and slower into the darkness where, you know, as the line says, he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. Remember, Jesus is telling this story, right? So at the start, Jesus says, as he's narrating the story, he says he squandered his life on a a life of dissipation. Hmm, what could that possibly mean, right? We could all imagine that. But when the story picks up at the end, Look what the older son says. And remember, this is Jesus telling the story. Now he gets a little bit more specific on how he wasted his money on a life of prostitutes, on a bunch of prostitutes, basically. Son, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes. I can't think of anything that would make a father less proud of his son than that's how he spent all the money, right? There could be a bad investment. Okay, you took a risk. You could have, you know, tried to, to buy some beautiful gift for the woman that you love. That's not what he did. 
he swallowed up all of his dad's money on prostitutes. And that is about as low as it seems to get. So when, so he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country. And isn't that the way it goes? Right? When we've wasted everything the Lord's given us, then we realize we have nothing. Right, so in our own lives, maybe when we go far from the Lord, we realize we've got nothing. Right? We've, we're, just, we're starving and we'll take any food that we could possibly get. Right? When we're struggling with our sins, when we're in the pits of wherever our, our life finds us, we're, um, we're just starving. And so this severe famine, right? when we leave the Father's house and we wander and he lets us go. And that's part of the story here is the Lord gives freedom. Because the father could have just said, no, you're not going. And he goes purely tyrannical and says, you're not going to have free will, son, because it's not good for you. But his son's an adult and he gives him the freedom to wander. He gives him freedom to go to the darkness and to go into a famine. And the Lord lets us do that. And he's got a plan to get us out. But it's, uh, well, this guy makes it to the pits. So, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. I'm from the suburbs. I, I grew up in Vandalia. I did not grow up around farms or anything. I drove on 274 a lot to go visit my parents, who are my grandparents, who lived on Indian Lake, but we did not stop in Jackson Center or any farm there along the way. But what I do know about farms in the Bible is ain't nobody touching pigs, right? Like this guy is going to farm the swine. And there is nothing worse for the Jewish people than to be around the pigs, right? They don't eat pork. They don't touch pork. They don't tend swine. And uh, so this is like the lowest possible, right? It's, I mean, I, I remember in my, in my 20s, I went to a hog farm for the first time and I was amazed at how high tech it was. I was amazed at how much ingenuity there was. And, you know, I could go on and on about it, but you all know that probably better than I do. Um, but this is not what's going on in the Bible, right? This is not like a, a respectable job of pig farming. This is, or hog farming, this is about as bad and about as low as it, as it gets to tend the swine. And then it just gets weird. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed. I've eaten a lot of gross things in my life on dares, um, but I, I have not looked at pig food and thought, you dare me, right? Like, he longs to eat that. And you think he's so starving, he'd eat anything, right? He's so hungry that anything will possibly do. It's, it's like if... If the only wine you've drank is Franzia, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry if anybody likes the boxed wine. <laughs> I've told this to men before, and you just make fun of, like, Keystone Light. And I know more about that than I do wine. So, um, right? So, you don't, he, doesn't know what, he doesn't know what good wine, he doesn't know what good beer tastes like, right? He's, he's forgotten the taste. And so, anything will do, right? And when we're starving for love. We're starving for the Father's house. Any substitute seems to do. And he, 
So he looks for pig food instead of the good stuff. But here's the shocking thing. Nobody gave him any, right? You can imagine like he's going down and he, he goes to get a spoonful of pig food and somebody comes up and slaps his hands and says, it's for the hogs, not for you. Nobody would give him any pig food to eat. And it just shows how low he's gotten, right? He was a son in the father's house that seems to have workers, that seems to have a farm, that seems to have a lot of good things going. And because he tried to take things into his own hands, everything falls apart. Right? He's, he, he wasted all of his money on prostitutes. Now he's basically got no food. He's got nothing in life. And then this line, coming to his senses. And in that, sometimes how it works in our own lives. And sometimes it happens regularly. Right? When we get in the pits, when we come to our senses. And I don't know why that is with human nature, that we've got to get to the lowest of the low. Like we've got to be absolutely broken before we come to our senses. And I, I, I think there's one translation that says, remembering who he was, remembering who his, who his father is, he begins his journey home and remembers who he is as a son, not a slave, not somebody who's destined for pig food. And this is like, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'll hold out my, whole, my finger because the, um, you know, the, the church often talks about the Holy Spirit as the finger of God that pricks, right? The finger of God that pokes, that bugs, that reminds. And that's seemingly what happens to this man, right? The finger of God gets in there and just starts bugging him to remember who he was, to help him come to his senses. So he says, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I dying from hunger. I shall get up and I shall go to my father. So he gets a little like nostalgia, right? And sometimes if, we, if people fall away from the faith, they get a little bit of nostalgia for the church. They get a little bit of nostalgia for God. Like, ah, remember how good things were. And even how much his slaves, right, have... Uh, have uh, have their needs provided for. There's this priest in Louisiana that gave a talk, Father Michael Champagne, about the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, and he does it as only like a priest who's really from the bayou does. Like, you know, they don't have a big old house, but they got like a window air AC unit, and that's pretty nice. And then they, you know, they don't have the, they don't have, <laughs> they don't have the best gumbo, but you know, they got food. And, you know, it's like... Just watch that. It's great. Um, and it's profound, too. It's really profound. Um, so, so he remembers, right? Just the slaves have more than he has, he has now. So he says, I know what I shall say. I shall say to him three things. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. It's great. Like he prepares what he's going to say. And just before this, we were talking about like going in to conversations or going into confession and we like got to write everything down, right? Because we're like, all right, I got to prepare what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say this. We just kind of get it all in order. Nothing wrong with that. But also if you've ever had to apologize to somebody to like, all right, I really screwed up. This is what I'm going to say to them, right? And so you get this whole thing, this whole thing prepared of what you're, what he's going to say. So he gets his words down, right? It's three things. 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Number two, I no longer deserve to be called your son. Number three, treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. And you wonder what went through his head. Because he's in a distant country, right? Maybe he's got a couple days to get back. Maybe he's got a long way back. And as he's walking back, all of these different thoughts of like, ah, should I really go back, right? Should I, maybe I should try one more time, right? Maybe in all of these different things to talk him out or like, you know, you are doing just fine, right? You, you don't need your father's thumb, right? He's kind of a bit of a tyrant and he didn't let you do everything you wanted. And all of these different, these different voices to discourage him. And in some ways, that's the way the, the devil works when we're walking either towards the Lord or with the Lord. St. Ignatius of Loyola has this great insight that um, when we're in the pits of like mortal sin and hell, as this guy was, right, as he's left everything, what the devil does is the devil likes to stroke the ego to say, no, you're doing great, right? Like uh, things are going fine and you're living your best life right now, right? Like to just stroke the ego to say, you're doing great. But when we start to move with the Lord or towards the Lord, that doesn't work anymore because the devil doesn't want to stroke the ego for trying to become a saint. So the devil's tactic switches a little bit to discourage, right? To say, oh, actually, he's going to be real ticked when you get back or any other discouraging word possible. And we experience that, right? As we're trying to walk towards the Lord, oftentimes we're discouraged. And that's what really kills us. Not kills us, but which hampers our walk with the Lord. Is that like, oh, so-and-so is so much better than you. Or why do all these bad things happen to a, a, you know, the endless things that could discourage us, you know? And they could, they could just be endless. So the good news is he fights through any discouragement that may have come and he just makes his way back to the father's house. So he went back to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him. Now there is only one way to catch sight of somebody while they're a long way off. You have to be looking for him. Right? Like if, if the father's just going about his day working, right? He's like fixing the tractor. He's, you know, milking cows, whatever he's got to do. You're not going to see somebody when they're a long way off. You have to be watching. And so you think about how long the father sat on his front porch, rocking back and forth, seeing, is that my boy coming? Oh no, my wife just ordered something on Amazon again. All right. <laughs> Right? And just he's constantly curious if the person coming down the, down the lane is his son. So he's just watching constantly to see if his son's coming home, which is amazing. Like he doesn't go on the rescue mission and just pull him out of the pits of hell. He actually waits for him to come home. He, he knows it has to be his choice or else, he, or else he's the tyrannical father that makes his son do whatever he doesn't want to do. So... While he's still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. Now, if I was this son, I've been gone for a while. I wasted everything my dad had given me. Literally half of his stuff I had wasted. And you're coming back and you see him run. And as he's running, like 
you can't see his facial expression right away. Right? All you can see is dad's running. And they're like, well, is he about ready to take off his belt and whip me? Or, you know, like, you, you don't run away. And for whatever reason, maybe it's a moment of grace. And maybe the Lord does that in our own lives as we're coming back. Right? He, he, he's either st- he doesn't run back, right? He doesn't turn away and run as his father runs out to him. But he's there and his, his dad embraces him and kisses him. And then his son begins his prepared speech, right? He's got three things that he's going to stay. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son, but his father ordered his servant. He doesn't get the third thing out of his mouth before his dad just keeps throwing love on him, right? He has his three things prepared as to what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, And you can imagine, so dad starts throwing the cloak on him, putting sandals on his feet, ring on his finger. And you can imagine the son like, dad, I I got something to say. I I prepared this for like the whole trip back. And his dad doesn't let him get it out. Right? The dad's just ready to lavish things upon him. But his father ordered his servants quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He doesn't even ask, like, I did give you a ring. Did you do anything with that? Is that in your pocket? Is there a pawn shop I could go and barter it back from? He doesn't, he doesn't bother and ask, what did you do with your inheritance? He's just ready to give him an inheritance anew. And so you think about our own inheritance that we've been given at baptism. Whenever we come back to confession, the question is not, well, what did you do with all of the graces that the Lord had given you on your baptism? Or anytime we come back to the Lord, it's not like, all right, how wasteful were you? Because the the father's not in the business of shaming, right? For our own sense, we have to know what we've done. We have to have our apology prepared, ready to go like this son does, but he's not demanding it of, of his son. So, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Sorry. Quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Incidentally, that's why one of the two reasons why I wear sandals regularly, but that's not about, that's me. Um, Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. You just hear those words and you wonder how long he how how long he longed to say those words. Right? Those words seem so well prepared. Right? They're so perfect. This son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Right? Like you could just hear the relief, the joy the happiness in there, I mean, it's, it's, that's why it's better, in my opinion, no offense to Jesus Christ, it's better than the story of the lost coin who just says, rejoice with me, of course, that's beautiful, or the sheep who, the lost sheep, but th- this guy was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And that is the story of every time we go to confession. It's the story of everybody who comes back to the Lord. The dead have come back to life. We've been dead 
and the Lord brings us back to life. And he's super excited about that. He's just happy to do that. And we see this in the, um, we see this in the Father. And if that was it, that would be enough, right? If that was the story and it ended with this, this and it, it feels like the end. The son of mine was dead and has been, and has been brought to life again. That just, it feels like just the perfect way to end the story. And you can imagine even Jesus' listeners as they're hearing this, like, that was a nice story. Wow, that's powerful. And maybe there's a little pause. And Jesus says, then the celebration began. Now the older son, and they're like, oh, there's an older son. What happened to that guy? Now the older son had been out in the field. So he's out working, right? The older son is diligent. He's task-oriented. He's responsible. He's always good, right? He's a good little boy. He's completing all of his tasks really well. He's working hard. He's responsible, right? And uh, he'd been out in the field on his way back. So he's been working all day. He nears the house and he hears the sound of music and dancing. That's not normal, right? The barn party's not till next week, right? So he hears all of this sound, music and dancing. And he's got to ask the servants uh, what happened. He, he asked one of the servants, uh, what's going on? Nobody told him, right? Nobody sent a text and be like, hey, your brother's back partying the barn, fat and calf, got killed today. Let's dance. Like nobody says anything to him. And he's a bit miffed, right? He's a bit... Um, pouty, right? So the servant said to him, your brother, your brother is back and your father has slotted the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. You can imagine the servant like, your brother's back, your father's excited and there's a party. And the servant's like, I get to tell the really good news. And he's just like, what's it say in the scriptures? He became angry. Who knows why he's angry? You could imagine a multitude of things, and he's going to show it a little bit in his heart as to why he's angry. There's a party going on. Why are you angry? Your brother, who you haven't seen for a while, is back. Your father's happy. Seems like all good reasons to celebrate. But man, us taskmasters, and I say us because um, the the older brothers just it man it hits it hits hard. Um, he became angry and when he refused to enter the house, right? So they're having the party going on and he just sits outside. He's not going in even to his own bedroom, right? He's not going into the house that's his. He's staying outside and probably wanting to prove a point, right? He wants everybody to see just how angry and maybe he's not even going in to wash up because he wants to show how dirty he is because he's been working all day because he's the hard worker, not the one who swallows up his dad's property on prostitutes. So he sits outside and he pouts, right? And then we see the father at work again. His father came out. You can imagine the father, maybe he's got a plate, probably he's got some brisket, right? They slaughtered a calf, they, you know, so he's got some good, his, some good beef. And maybe he's talking to his son, right? His younger son. And they're like, uh, you know, just, yeah, what happened? You know, he's like, oh my gosh, you should have seen this. this is a crazy thing. I tried to eat pig food. They wouldn't let me have any. This is great, dad. Thanks for the food, right? And they're talking about all the story that's happened. And, uh, and then maybe they both catch the older brother out there 
And he's like, and you know, the younger brother's like, uh, dad, what's up with him? Uh, he's not coming in. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like that sometimes. And you know, like, so the, the younger brother, probably the one who's been away from his father for so long, now gets uncomfortable because his older brother is just, is just bitter. And uh, I, I heard somebody say one time, what would have happened if when the younger son comes back, the first person he met was his older brother? Imagine if he would have met his older brother as the first person that comes back. We don't want you here. Why'd you come back? You're not welcome. You gave everything away. You had your chance. See ya. Thank God it's not. And Jesus made the story himself, so that's why it's not. But, um, but the, the father knows exactly what to do, right? He knows his younger son isn't ready to go have that conversation. He's like, I got this. I'll go talk to him. I'll try to make things okay. And so dad goes out, right? He's like, hold my beer. And he hands his beer to his son and uh, he goes out and he, uh, he pleads with him. He pleads with him, come back in, right? He's begging his, his son to not be so hard hearted. He's begging him not to be so cold, not to be so, so angry, so bitter. He's just pleading with him to come back in. That's what the scripture says. He pleaded with him. So he said to his father in reply, look, all these years I served you. I, I did everything. All these years. It's been years since his brother left. I have been diligent. I have worked hard. I've done everything you asked. I've been perfect. I've been the good little boy you always wanted. Notice those are words that a slave would say, right? His son thinks he's a slave, right? He thinks he's just got to do everything his dad says. If he's just perfect, then he'll be the best possible slave. Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders, right? It's like I, was, I just behaved well. I was a good slave, yet you never even, you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends, right? You never gave me anything. And sometimes we get this way with the Lord, right? When we're going through a hard time, things don't go, we're like, you never once helped, Lord. Like you weren't there for me and this time, or I was struggling and you, whatever, like that becomes our, and he doesn't, he, the, the father, in his goodness, you just look at the father. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't chide his son, but he says, he says uh, well, he doesn't get a chance to speak yet. Sorry. So the, the older son continues, but when your son returns, listen to this. He says, when your son, he doesn't say when my brother returns. He says he's your son, right? Parents ever have this happen? You know, mom comes home, our dad comes home from work, and mom says, you have to talk to your son. You know, like that happened in our house. Um, there's a sense of like almost in this story, right? There's a sense of disownership. Like he's not my brother anymore. He's dead to me. Mom's in the room. I'm sure that's not how you feel with your kids. So, um, but it's like your son returns who swallowed up your property with prostitutes. For him, you slaughter the fattened calf. I, I've done everything well, and I haven't been treated fairly. And sometimes that's, that's, the way we, that's the way we get. And so we see, like, both of these sons just really need to grow up. All right? The younger son is reckless. 
But he becomes a man, he becomes a grown-up when he admits that he's done wrong and he comes back. And the older son needs to grow up because he is just all worried about being perfect. He's all worried about performing well, about everything being perfect, and he's, 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 he's not a man, he's a slave, right? He's, that's all he is in his father's house. So the father gets to respond, my son, right? He starts off, my son, like, you are my son, right? This is your identity too. You are my child. You are my son. You are my beloved one. You are here with me always. Everything I have is yours, right? Your brother took his stuff already. Everything here, the house, the people, the crops, the joy, all of this is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice. Get this, because your brother, right? He's back in the family. He's not just my son. He's your brother, right? He's being restored to the family. And that's what happens when we come back time and time, right? The Lord wants to bring us back into his family because our own sins, our own wanderings, it's not just us and God. It's the whole family gets affected by it. The whole family of God, the whole church gets stronger when we're all united in the Father's house and it actually lessens. And so the Lord wants to keep, not just restore us, but to restore the church. He wants to restore the church when those who wander come away. So he's like, your brother is back. Right, so anytime we see somebody come back to confession after a while, somebody who'd been away from the church, my brother, my sister is back. They were dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. He gets to say those words again, right? That's his phrase, right? The son, your brother, was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So we can probably see ourselves and these two, two sons, right? The parable of the two sons. And as soon as we even hear the gospel, a man had two sons. Like, oh, I know where this is going. It's great. Um, yeah, that's actually the way all the parables seem to go. It's like a sower went out to sow. It's like, oh, yes. Um, so we see ourselves in these two sons, right? And we're some sort of mixture of both, probably. We're wandering. We're squanderers. We're wasteful with what the good Lord's given us. And sometimes we're a bit bitter, we're a bit resentful, and we're a bit angry, or we're a bit just burdened by life. And I, I said it at the start that the word prodigal means wasteful, right? So that gets the, the, all the different titles of this story, the story of the prodigal son, right? The wasteful son, or the story of the two sons. <clears throat> but who's, who's the most wasteful one in this story? It's definitely dad. My dad just wastes everything he has on his sons, right? He wastes half of his property on, the ones, on his younger son. He wastes his time on his older son in going back out to get him. The real prodigal one in this story, it's the father. It's the father who's always going out to meet his sons, right? He runs out to meet the younger one. He leaves the party to go find the older one. It's the father who's the wasteful one. And it's the father that's the center of this story. And if we miss that, we miss our lives as Christians. Because our lives as Christians, as our lives as Catholics, as followers of Jesus Christ, is ultimately not about us. 
Right? We can look at ourselves and see, oh, I'm just so much the older son today, or I'm so much the younger brother, or I'm so much Judas Iscariot or whatever, you know? Like, we can look at ourselves so often, but that's not really supposed to be the focus of our lives. The focus of our lives is on the Father, is on the Father who's revealed in this story. And if we miss how good the Father is, if we, if we just focus on the wastefulness or the bitterness of the older son, we miss the whole story. Because the whole story is actually about this father who's so good. And that's what our faith is about. Because Jesus comes to reveal the face of the father. He says in John's gospel, whoever sees me sees the father. And that's why he tells this story about the father, because Jesus wants to reveal his father to us. It's his whole mission is to bring us back to the Father's house. Right? Jesus' whole mission is to pick us up and rescue us to take us home. And so sometimes in our lives as in following Jesus, we get so wrapped up sometimes with our own sins, sometimes with the sins of others, sometimes with who knows what it is, but just to keep our eyes always on the Father and, or always on Jesus Christ. That's always the point of our prayer life. And sometimes we've got to talk about our problems with God, right? We've got to bear everything that's going on with the Lord. We've got to tell him our pains, our shortcomings, our sins. But ultimately, our lives of faith should just be gazing upon him, should be just be looking at him and watching just how good he is. And that's what makes this parable so great, is it just puts the goodness of God on so much display, and we see his goodness in this story. We see ourselves in this story too. But if we miss the Father's goodness, we really miss the entire point of this story. So it's the whole mission of Jesus to bring us back to the Father's house. So um, that's that. <laughs>